Myrtle Beach Pelicans Baseball and Abuelo's Mexican Restaurant present the Pelicast. Join us as we dive into the in-depth stories of the Pelican players and coaches from their perspective. Now from the Abuelos Mexican Restaurant in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, here are your hosts, Zach Bigley and Noah Clunan. It's our pleasure to welcome you inside Abuelos Mexican Restaurant for the third edition of the PeliCast here in 2019. Zach Bigley alongside Noah Clunan as always, and our guest today is Pelicans reliever Ben Hecht. Ben, how you doing? Really good. Happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Well, thank you. We appreciate you taking out the time today in your in your busy day. Well, let's kind of dive right in. You were a 2017 draft pick, and this is your second full season here of minor league baseball. How are things going for you in Myrtle Beach this year? It's nice. It's really nice. Uh, it's a lot different than last year. Around this time, it was probably like 40 degrees in South Bend. <laughs> so uh, I got an ocean. You know, it's a lot nicer. It's uh, It's been a good year. Are you a beach guy? Um, I've recently become one. I've been going to the pier a lot just because – I like to see all these fishermen and see what they're catching and stuff. Like, I don't know, it's kind of random, but it's been enjoyable. Do you fish yourself? Um, when I go home, I've got, like, a really small local lake, and it's, like, bluegill. Like, I'm not, <laughs> there you go. Like, I saw a guy catch a stingray, and then um, then uh, later that same day, a guy, like, caught, like, a baby fish or a baby uh, shark, and as he reeled it in, like, a big shark came in took it so like oh, you saw that happen i've got the video on my phone that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool man luis lugo has to take you out fishing he's a big no fisherman. that's who got me on it he's like oh, you gotta really? go to the pier and i was like i i don't need to go to the pier i don't really <laughs> care and then i went there with my dad just because we were looking for something to do because we had a, a a late start time and i was just like yeah let's just go check out the pier i guess because he he likes fishing more than i do and i decided to go check it out and i'm kind of addicted <laughs> Did you, you hear that Lugo caught a shark? Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen that. He he has a lot of time. He's trying to get me to go with him, and I was like, I mean, I'll go, but I don't fish. I don't. If you catch anything, I'm not taking it off. He's terrified of sharks. Uh, I am too. I, <laughs> like Lightly so. Yeah, it's like a, a random fear that started. Like, I mean, I guess I really can call it random, but like, I guess they say like the probability of you being caught or uh, you know bit by a shark is incredibly small. But I don't know. I just. I hate the ocean. I hate going in it. I'll st I'll stand there and look at it all day, but God, I hate. I don't want to swim in it. <laughs> Being from the Midwest, did you have a lot of experiences going to the ocean when you were younger? Yeah, when I was growing up, my family really enjoyed like the tropical vacations to the Bahamas, the Jamaica, and and all that stuff. So I, I went all the time, and I think that's kind of where my fear started with it because they took me snorkeling when I was like maybe nine or ten, and I couldn't swim very well yet. And obviously, the ocean's a lot you know more rough and you know, the lake back home. But uh, so I went with my, you know, my my entire family, my three brothers and my parents, and I kind of got like, you know, off to the side because the waves kind of, you know, took me in that direction. <laughs> and I ended up kind of getting lost out there. My dad found me, and there was like a barracuda right next to me. Oh, my God. And I had no idea. And um, from that day on, because, you know, that was in, it was around the time Finding Nemo came out. And there was a barracuda <laughs> in that. And that's when I, I had just recently seen the movie, and I became completely and totally terrified of it. And then um, while we were going in back into the uh, to the resort, there's like this boat we were on, and you could see through the glass at the bottom. And then sure enough, there's like a great white. So, yeah. That'll traumatize you. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this this is not for me. And then and that's when I became addicted to like Shark Week and all stuff like that. And I was like, this thing, is, this ocean is just not for me. There's, <laughs> everything out there wants to hurt me. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's pretty much Bingo. what it is. Well, when you look at your life growing up in the Midwest, what was Midwest life like for you growing up? Oof, I grew up in a pretty small town. Um, nothing but cornfields around me. Um, any given night back where I'm from, you know, you, you hop on your bike and you kind of just go down to the local park district down the street. There's always baseball going on. Um, you know, you can guarantee at least three or four of your buddies are down there any given night, um, whether it be p- playing a pickup game or watching, you know, another friend or whatever it may be. And then usually, you know, you hop on your bike or whatever it may be. I remember ripsticks were big for us. <laughs> um, you That's just, a throwback. Yeah, really, you know. Really big throwback. We would, uh, you know, you, because there's no, like, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We would just ride around on our bike or our ripstick. And whenever we would see the pile of bikes outside, that's where all your buddies are. You go, you know, you go hang out with your buddies. And then, you know, it it was always like just staying up late, playing video games or something stupid. And, you know, something all kids do. And, uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. Just a lot of cornfields, running, running toward the cornfields. Sounds like the movie The Sandlot. Exactly. It's, not, it's literally... <laughs> basically what we did except like you know then winter comes around and it's for basketball so obviously basketball is the big sport around there did you play basketball growing up i did um you know i i uh my freshman year of high school i uh, i planned on playing but uh i went from like five four to six one in the summer and so the pain in my knees was just i, I couldn't play through it i had to I I couldn't. It was just too painful, and uh, my oldest brother went through the same thing, and uh, so I ended up just taking you know that year off. And um, you know it, it it was big for everybody. I mean, I always kind of played it more as a hobby. I I never truly loved it. I always watched uh, my oldest brother play baseball, and I I wanted to be a shortstop because he was a shortstop. Obviously, I grew up to be like five inches taller, and he's a lot <laughs> more athletic. So he he takes the cake there, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just never really loved basketball like I did baseball. Who were some of your idols on any court, any sport growing up? Um, you know, I grew up, you know, closer to the St. Louis area. I grew up a big Chris Carpenter fan, um, a big Adam Wainwright fan. Um, obviously, my oldest brother, I watched almost everything he ever did. Just, you know, he was one of the first truly great baseball players from our area. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, all kinds of, you know, it's hard to single out one person, but, you know, it, it was really enjoyable to watch my oldest brother play. When did you first know you wanted to play college baseball? Um, I would say probably, like, I knew I always wanted to, but, I mean, it was kind of more like a, I want to because he did, or, like, I didn't really want to because I thought I was good enough. It was probably, like, after or maybe midway through my sophomore year I started getting some some local colleges interested, some phone calls, and then I kind of realized, like, this is probably something that's very possible. And then it was probably, like, my junior year. After after State, my junior year, I really started getting the phone calls, and I realized, like, this is this is gonna, this is a little bit bigger than I thought it was going to be. Well, did your brother play college baseball? Yes, my brother played at Kaskaskia Junior College and was, a, was an All-American there and then went to Arkansas State, was an All-American there, and, yeah, so he was a much, much better athlete. <laughs> What's he doing now? Um, he went and worked in St. Louis as a CPA for about two years. Um, he got married in 2016, maybe 17, can't remember. <laughs> uh, hopefully he doesn't listen to this. Um, and then um, he moved back home. He is currently being trained, I'll say, by my dad to 
help take over the accounting part of the family business, and he's got two kids now, and you know, enjoying it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, when you look at your kind of decision to go where you went in college, you bounced around a, a lot, but during the recruiting process when you were still in high school, what kind of stood out to you with that whole process? You mean as far as like each college or just like? Yeah, yeah, each college <coughs> coming to you and, and asking, you know, what, what are your interests in, mm. in our school? Um, you know, I was, I look back at it, I was a really, really, naive 18 year old i didn't really know i just knew i had a bunch of you know colleges asking me i didn't really think about what was important what wasn't i just know that i wanted to play for a good school at a coach that because i knew i was going to be gone a lot and i knew i wanted a a coach that was going to be more than a coach to me at this point he was going to care about me and that you know if if i ended up leaving the university it was not like that scene of our relationship he would continue to get in contact with me and um so that was the big thing for me. I, uh, you know, I had a, a few offers, and I had one that I was almost positive I was going to or going going to go to until, you know, Bill Mullet, Illinois State stepped in, and he really assumed almost like that father away from my father figure kind of thing. And uh, I don't know, just it, within the first ten minutes of our phone call, I felt incredibly comfortable. I knew this is a guy that I wanted to play for, and. Yeah, I just, you know, Mark Kingston obviously had an unbelievable background, so, you know, you don't need to, you didn't need to question Mark Kingston and what he's doing. So, like, you know, his resume speaks for himself, or speaks for himself especially today, I mean, in South Carolina. So, uh, you know, uh, just wanted someone who I could trust, you know, who cared about me as more than just a baseball player, as a student, as a person. And I think they both, you know, assumed that role very well. Did you get a chance to visit Illinois State before you committed? What did you think of it? Um, yeah, so I played at um, a showcase at Illinois State um, my that summer heading into my senior year. And I got to speak to Bo Durkak, the, um, the uh, fielding coach. And actually, I was considering taking a walk on there as a third baseman. Huh. So I didn't get the full college visit, just because I'm assuming it was the walk-on spot and not on scholarship. but uh, So I'd seen the university. I didn't get to see any of the locker rooms, the weight rooms or anything, but I knew the field, and that was about it. And uh, I had been in contact with them, you know, a, a small amount before the pitching aspect of things took up or uh, took off. And uh, so, yeah, I got to see a little bit of it. Not the whole thing, but a little bit of it. How close were you to being a third baseman? <laughs> I was verbally committed to be a third baseman. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was happening. I, I don't know. It was just the pitching thing was just so random. I don't know how it happened. I got a, I pitched one time, in like a 17 to like two blowout. Huh. And they were like, oh, we gotta save a pitcher. Let's just throw Hecht. He's got a decent arm. Your entire high school career, you only threw one I, time? No, no. So oh. I, I mean, I pitched as a junior, but you know what I mean. Like I was like 85, 87. Yeah. You know, there's nothing. Nothing special, and not to mention we're from a small area, so, like, no big-time coaches are coming to watch. You know, it's mostly junior college and a few local, like, D2s, D3s. So I knew I didn't, you know, I didn't think it was possible. Plus, you know, every day, everywhere you go, there's at least six people with a radar gun, it seems like. Uh, Back home, I had no idea how hard I threw. I I didn't know how hard I threw until, you know, I went and played summer ball. You know, I I had heard, you know, oh, he's 85, 87. I had no idea. And um, so, yeah, I pitched my junior, and I had a really good year, but – in a small two-way school, like, does that really matter, I guess, sometimes? <laughs> so, like, you know, I, I didn't I didn't have any interest as a pitcher. I, I didn't – I know I didn't want to. <laughs> I know I didn't want to pitch at all. I always tell everybody, like, no, nah, I'm going to be a two-way guy. I'm going to be a two-way guy. I, I'm not going anywhere else. I'm a two-way guy. And uh, – but, yeah, we were 
we were really beating this team bad, and um, they were just kind of like, yo, hey, let's go throw Hecht. Uh, we got to save a pitcher. We got to gain tomorrow. Change gain tomorrow. And then that one random outing, it was in Marietta, Georgia. I was like 89, 92. And then, you know, I got a call from my coach, Rick Strickland. He's like, hey, have you committed yet? I was like, well, I haven't signed anything, but I think they're kind of expecting me. He goes, well, I wouldn't do it because <laughs> I, I got a lot of phone calls today. So I was like, oh, well, there goes hitting. <laughs> and that was the end of that. And how did the process unfold now that you were discovered as a pitcher? Mm -hmm. what, what did it look like from your perspective? Um, I came because we were gone for like three or four more days, and I came home that day to about a you know, stack that big of <laughs> letters. And, uh, you know, coaches trying to reach out to me. Um, you know, my phone kind of blew up a little bit because it was one of those, um, like, uh, big, big showcases. We had a lot of, on our travel team, we had a lot of high-profile, you know, I think it was Devin Williams that had pitched that day, and he was a second-rounder eventually. And uh, so, obviously, there's a ton of people there. They want to watch him, and they want to, you know, some, some professional scouts. And that was kind of when the professional thing kind of came on board. And then I realized, you know, this went from I hope I can play college to I know I can play college to what's, what's going to be past college. And, um, you know, it, it, I got a bunch of phone calls and every one of them tell me the same thing. Like, man, you got, you can't, you can't play third anymore. Like, I'm really <laughs> sorry. You're not good. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it blew up faster than I ever could imagine. When's the last time you hit? I hit at Lincoln land. I hit a little bit at Wichita too in okay. ball ball, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I was a two-way at only state. That was the agreement when I went there. You know, they were going to give me a chance at two-way, and I got a little opportunity. Found out I wasn't very good. Then I went to junior college, and I was only a pitcher because I knew I was, you know, was I wasn't going to hit at the D1 level. And then um, we had like, you know, a bunch of things happen. So some some guys got in trouble. Some guys got, you know, couldn't play for the first X amount of games, and we ended up being down a ton of position players. And they're like, Ben, I need you to hit for this. <laughs> we need you to hit for um, the spring break trip we're taking down in Florida. And I was like, sure. Swinging for the fences, but sure. <laughs> and then I ended up hitting really well. And they're like, yeah, you're going to keep hitting. So then I had <laughs> played first base. I had pitched the first game first base the last three. And then uh, then I went – then, you know, Todd Butler, Wichita State calls. And he's like, man, I think you can do it. I think you can do two-way guy. I'm like – well, the problem is I play third or first base. Your third baseman's Alec Bohm. He went third yeah. overall. Your first baseman's Grayson Chiniston. He went like 32nd overall. <laughs> so it's like I don't know where you want me to play, but I'll try it. And, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't last long there either, but it was fun. <laughs> I didn't care. Your time at Illinois State, what was that like? It was a very talented team that you were a part of. You know, it's funny. When you're there, it's 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 when I was there, I knew we were good, but I was just kind of in a situation like, yeah, this is a well-coached, grindy kind of team. I look back at it, I'm just like, my Lord, that team was stacked. <laughs> like, you know, Paul DeYoung and Brock Stewart, Jeremy Rhodes, Mike Hall. Yeah, just, the list goes on. Um, so they, uh, you know, I, I got there and I learned very quickly, being from a small area, you know, there wasn't much baseball there. and um, I learned very quickly, you know, I'm, a small fish in a big pond. You know, there's there's more out there than just small Effingham, Illinois, and uh, you know that could tell these guys are special. I'm not the only one throwing 90 anymore. You know, I got these guys mid 90s regularly. Um, it it was, and obviously the uh, the respect Mark Kingston, you know, expects, and you know I was almost a little scared. <laughs> I, I wasn't used to. It. I was used to kind of just 
you know, joking around all the time, you know, kind of just not really paying much attention. When the game's on the line, I could just throw fastball and it would work or, you know, and God, I learned quickly that's not the case. So, um, you know, it, it was amazing. That team was incredibly talented, incredibly well coached, and I learned a lot from all of them. What was the baseball culture like in Bloomington? Um, you know, it, there was a lot of, it was all, all respect. Whenever you talked to Mark Kingston, you always took your glasses off. You always said, yes, sir. I mean, there was, there was eye contact. You know, it was a very high level of respect. And he was always big, and you respect me. I promise you, you will get it back from me. And it, it was, it was totally different, you know. I mean, it was, it was, it was some pretty intense stuff. And, you know, it, it worked. How much did that help you grow up personally? A lot. <laughs> I needed it. Uh, they, they definitely would still let you cut back, believe me. I mean, I, I could easily – I could have fun. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I needed I needed that bad. I, I needed him to, uh, to really bring me back down to earth a little bit, and I think he did exactly that. So after that first year then, you transferred to Lincoln Land. What was the decision behind that? Oh, you know, we had lost a lot. Lost, lost a lot to the draft, and as I had mentioned earlier, Bill Mole really was kind of the X factor. I really enjoyed him a lot. He kind of made me feel comfortable, and I under, you know, I was told he was leaving. Um, so really, I kind of just came down to the next step. Was, was I ready to continue to play college ball, or should I go and try and get ready for the draft again? And um, so basically, I just kind of had so many questions, and it was like, you know, I was getting late. And I still hadn't told, been told who my coach with Illinois State would be, so I finally just decided it's not worth the wait anymore. It's not worth the stress. And I decided I was going to transfer. Word got around. Then one of my best friends back home told me that, you know, they're at the College World Series right now for junior college. And I was like, that sounds really good. I want to play with my friend again. So I decided to go to um, Lincoln Land over uh, Jeffco and uh, Heartland. But – you know, I just wanted to play with my friend again. It was really the ultimate, like, this is why I'm going to go to Lincoln Land. And then once I got there, obviously I met the coaches, and I loved the coaches, and the other guys were great too. But the the first initial why I was going to Lincoln Land was to play with my friend again. What was Juco ball like? <laughs> it was a grind. <laughs> it was awesome. It was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches post and pregame. <laughs> you get one thing of, you know, salami with some cheese on it. And, uh you got to take the 17-hour bus trip from, you know, from Springfield, Illinois to Clearwater, Florida or wherever it Goodness. was. Goodness. Yeah. It, it was exactly everything you've heard and more. <laughs> it is a grind. It's it's fun, though. I mean, it's part of that. That grind is what makes it fun, though. Do you have a favorite JUCO story that you remember? Oh, man. <laughs> favorite JUCO story that I remember. Um it's hard to single one out. I mean, I I, I always just really enjoyed because uh, we always uh, we had this super fan. He was really our coach's dad. We called him Big Bull. He was just always a great guy to keep around. You know, he kind of had the raspy voice. The the told the old stories like, oh, back in my day, blah blah blah. <laughs> like they were always just really really funny to hear. And uh, I I just that that was never like one specific story. It's just fun listening to him. You know, he. Always have his cigarettes and stuff, <laughs> and you just throw them or whatever. It was just fun. Like I, don't, I, I always enjoyed like you know all these you know at Illinois State we had these big indoor facilities, and you know it's pouring down rain. Everyone's like, oh lord, now we gotta have a full practice in the indoor facility, and 
you know, when it rained in Lincoln Land, we always went to the basketball court. <laughs> and, you know, we went from this, you know, big, massive two-story weight room to, like, this booth of a weight room. I had, like, a squat rack and, like, free weights up to, like, 80 pounds, and that was it. And, like, one – it was just really – it was just – it was fun, though. It was really funny. <laughs> really makes you close with your yeah. teammates, right? It's like, yeah, we're in this, like – you know, small enclosed area. We might as well like each other, I guess. Otherwise, <laughs> it's going to be a long season. Makes minor league ball seem like a dream. Yeah, no, for real. That's like kind of the way I'm looking at it. Last year in South Bay, we'd always say it like, "Oh, he's got JUCO," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah I got JUCO <laughs> in me." Anybody who's went to JUCO understands. Yeah, exactly. Well, then from JUCO, Wichita State came calling. What was that whole process? Um, so that was that was kind of unexpected. I I mean, I played them my freshman year, obviously, and I knew they were really good. Um, and then, you know, I go from my little enclosed weight room to the massive facilities of Wichita State. Um, you know, that, that, I don't know, I just got a random phone call from Todd Butler, and he laid it all down for me, what they thought, what they were expecting. You know, he brought up Alec Bohm and Grayson Janista and Dayton Dugas, like all these really good freshman of the year caliber players. And, um, you know, and, and there's more, obviously. And, once I kind of heard that, I just kind of felt like this was like that diamond in the rough kind of thing. Like, how's no one, you know, how's no one thinking about this school? Like, how have I never thought about this school? Like, these guys are clearly going to be a talented team. And, you know, once I got there, obviously we were a talented team. But, um, you know, he, he takes me in this huge indoor facility, and I was like, this isn't JUCO anymore. This, <laughs> is, this is top-tier stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was kind of unexpected. I love Todd Butler. He was an unbelievable coach. He's a great person. Uh, I still talk to him. I miss him. You know, and, uh, you know, it was it was really good to uh, it was really good to play for him. I, I, I loved my time there. And you have uh, – it seems like Todd Butler has an influence all over minor league baseball and, and a couple different guys that you've played with at this <laughs> level too. When you look back at your time with him specifically, what impact do you think on the field and off the field he's had on your career? Both Todd Butler and our pitching coach, Mike Steele, were really – they preached more than a game. It's all, you know, I mean, this this game's great. You can play it for as long as you can, but at the end of the day, like this game, you can't play it forever. You got There's got to be something there when you're done. And they were really big into preaching what you – you know, character, what you do when no one's looking or blah, 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 you know, stuff, the good stuff like that. And uh, so, you know, there would be – times at school they'd be like hey we got a 7 a.m meeting or whatever on a saturday friday and then we'd you know we'd, we'd go in there wouldn't even bring up baseball one time they would be talking about like what it's like to be like a husband or, or a father and you know uh you know like what we consider to have a bad day and what you know what they consider to have a bad day and you know when you're a father or a husband or a coach like you can't afford to like you know, keep your head down. And then at the end, they would tie it back to, like, baseball. Like, so, yeah, when you have a bad outing, can you really go – and you have a son or something, can you really go home and be a bad father to your son? No, you got to, you know, you got to take care of him and all that stuff. And they were – they preached really big on what you do outside of this game. It was awesome. Your time, obviously, there – gave you some national spotlight and that led to the draft as well and actually as we're recording this podcast today the first day of the draft is today mm -hmm. for 2019 what was your draft day experience like <laughs> oh man it was uh the first day i I'd obviously i was not expecting on the first <laughs> day two was a very 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 stressful day i had had a lot of communication with you know three or four teams and uh, i i truly felt good about the day two I had gotten numerous phone calls from multiple teams and even on two separate occurrences I had 
you know, gotten the phone call like, hey, you're you're coming up, we're gonna take you, and you know, here's the dollar figure. And I was like, yes, let's do it. I agree. <laughs> and both times, I just sat there, was you know, listening with my mom at work or she at her work, and uh, just heard someone else's name get called, and I was like, wow, that that stings. And then you know probably around later maybe around a half later another team calls and the same thing happens and they're just like hey we i don't know why they passed on you but we're not going to it's coming up we're going to take you and i was like okay right, let's do it and then um same thing happened again and they passed wow. again and then um so yeah i sat there the rest of the day and then they called one more time and they're like and then this time they were a little bit more reasonable with them like hey I think we're going to take you. We'll see. I'm not sure. This is the same team every time. Uh, no, one. Oh. There was so there was two times it's the same team. The other team was a third. Okay. Or it was a second. And uh, so, but they were at least reasonable with me. They were like, hey, you know, we've got a guy ahead of you. If he's there, we're taking him. If he's not, we're taking you. And I'm assuming that was they got their guy. Um, and then finally the draft ends, and I get like you know two or three phone calls from these guys, and they're like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry about what unfolded there. Um, you know, it's not fair to you. Uh, we got, you know, we looked over your medical again because I had redshirted from a shoulder injury, and they're like, we just couldn't pass or we couldn't uh, clear it with the uh, with the medical team on our. Uh, we weren't we weren't confident giving that money with someone with a past shoulder issue. And I was just like, well, I mean, come on, you guys have had a month to figure this out. Like, you can't tell me you this came up on the spot. Like, <laughs> so I mean, it was incredibly frustrating that day two. Then day three rolled around and. You know, the, the, those two teams called me again, and they did it again. So, and then the Cubs came and took me, and I, I mean, God bless the Cubs. You know, I mean, I, I, I understand. You know, it's a business. It was a little frustrating, but I mean, it was just stressful. And I'm sure this happened to other people. You know, it's just incredibly frustrating. Is all. So you finally get the call from the Cubs, though. What is the feeling like? <laughs> um, you know, it was. It was a feeling really hard to describe. I was still very frustrated what had happened before. So, that, you know, I, I almost had to apologize to the Cubs when I got the call. I was almost a little bitter. You know, I was just had a bad taste in my mouth. I was obviously thankful but a little bitter at the same time. But, um, you know, it, 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 once once I calmed down and I was like, you know what, at the end of the day I get a, I still get what I wanted. I got, got a dream. I got to go play it. You know, once you get there, it's anybody's ball game. Anybody can make it. So it was an incredibly humbling experience, and obviously my mom grew up a diehard Cub fan too. So that, you know, it's nice to see my mom, you know, you know, a little teary-eyed. You know, she, you know <laughs> I got to go play for the Chicago Cubs, and uh, you know, it, it was a very humbling experience. It was really good to get to spend it with my whole family, and uh, you know, it, it was you became anger became you know anxious. You want to get out there and you're ready to go do it and prove them wrong, I guess. Mm -hmm. And what was your family's reaction when they found out your name was called? Well, actually, my dad didn't know at all I, he came home and didn't, I, he didn't <laughs> say anything i was like okay whatever but uh you know um, he was at work when, when yeah, it he was at work. <laughs> but so was my mom and my mom and dad worked together so like, i don't know what happened to be honest i don't know where it got lost but something went wrong but uh so yeah i got to uh i got to spend it with everybody except one of my brothers was gone he's a pilot he's out you know, he was gone. And then once I got drafted and I got to Arizona, I got to meet up with him because he lived in Phoenix. But, um, you know, it was uh, it, it was a very, very exciting feeling. I mean, they knew what I'd worked for. They got to enjoy it just like I did, and it was uh, it was really fun. When you first got to spring training, your first spring training, or I guess it wasn't necessarily spring training, but you first got to Arizona, what were some of your first reactions to Pro Bowl? It's hot. 
<laughs> it was like yes. 120 <laughs> degrees at like a seven o'clock game. I was like, this is, this isn't Illinois. <laughs> this is hot. But um, you know, it was. I, I would just walk into the locker room and I see all these big guys and I'm just like, man, these kids are put together. And you're like, hey, I'm Ben. And then you, you know, say his name, and he'd be like, I'm 18. I'm like, no, you're not. There's no <laughs> way. There's no chance this kid's 18. And, God, they're just some put-together kids, you know. So you call them corn-fed where I'm from. But <laughs> I don't know. And the other thing, it was really funny and enjoyable because, you know, you get to see all these Spanish speakers, and you get to, you know, it's funny because at first it's kind of overwhelming because, you know, some of them don't speak good English. Some of them speak better English than I do <laughs> and then you know it's kind of it kind of like gets you a little confused sometimes your head's going every way and then it's just kind of funny you listen to them talk and then like you kind of pick up Spanish a little bit and it's just so funny they say the exact same thing as we do and they're the exact same people like there's you know we're separated by an ocean but they're literally the exact same people as us it's so funny <laughs> to me. how's your Spanish uh <laughs> working on it. It's, <laughs> work in progress. It's a work in progress. I'm getting the uh, my teachers, Manny Rondone and, and <laughs> Jesus Camargo, and you know, last year a lot of Jose Albertos. It's <laughs> I'm working on it. Some of it's uh, some of it's good. I feel like maybe they're teaching me a lot more bad things than good things. <laughs> that might be the case, but you know, that's part of it. They have great intentions. Exactly. Exactly. Learn somehow. Yeah. Great intentions. Great intentions. <laughs> exactly right. But. Uh, yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> I hope I'll be fluent, you know, by the end of this year. Wow. No, I'm kidding. Okay, I was <laughs> like, oh, my I'm goodness. totally kidding. Ambitious goal? <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> that would be impressive. When you were in your first full professional season in South Bend and then transitioning this year, we talked a lot about earlier your transition with your body physically mm -hmm. and what you wanted to do to make sure you, you stayed healthy. How important is that, and is it it's still working to this point in the season? Yes, it's working. I I noticed that, uh, and this passed out in really like a, a lot. I just I, you know I was throwing, and, and I got to see the chart afterwards, and I was throwing it well. And the thing about it that was most encouraging was I wasn't really trying to throw hard. Like most time when you when you when you get the higher velocities, you kind of obviously you got to reach back like anybody does, and. You know, it's it's a hard feeling to describe, but like there's just that that feeling you get when you know your arm gets away from your body and you can feel it come through and everything feels right, but it's effortless. You know, and uh, by this time last year, I was already you know, I was already throwing a lot more breaking balls because you know the velocity was going down. I couldn't get it by people. I was having to throw a pitch that required you know a lot more or a lot less margin of error because you know. You know, if you throw a bad breaking ball, it goes in the dirt or it goes arm side where they can't get it. If you throw a bad fastball, it goes 440 feet. <laughs> but, like, you know, so, like, I, I, it's working great for me. I still feel really well. I, I feel as if it's early in the season still, and it's almost halfway already. So I got to keep up with it. I got to stick with it. Um, you know, I, I never thought it would be this big of a difference but i'm blown away by how much better i feel and then obviously when you feel better physically you feel better mentally so what sort of things do you do in the off season on the off season i work out in st louis um you know i got uh, a lot of people that live that's basically where everybody goes when you go to college and you, know, you finish college from my area you go straight to st louis you work for a while you go back home uh, i practically have lived in st louis for a very long time now i just I'm comfortable with it. You know, my agent was there. Um, at, you know, after the draft, I'd live with my agent, and uh, so yeah, I, I work out at a, a place called P3, 
And um, I probably work out f five days a week of actually physical working out. The sixth day I'll come in and kind of just do like, you know, Saturday, I'll be there like an hour, hour and a half, maybe some foam rolling, some like, uh, we call it fuzz dust. Um, so just to get some body movement, relaxing. And, and um, you know, a lot of it, you know, I'm there probably four plus hours, but you know, I'm obviously talking a lot. There's a lot of guys that work <laughs> out there, a lot of guys from different organizations and you get to talk to them, learn about their organization, what they're doing, what they like, what they don't like, pick each other's brains. And um, yeah, so I get to live in St. Louis and it's very nice. When you get that interaction with guys from different organizations, do you take anything that you learn from them and apply it to your game? Um, well, really, the nutrition thing came from the other guys. I, I mean, one of the guys that works out there is Andrew Benatendi, and he was explaining to me, like, when he really started taking his nutrition seriously, everything changed for him, you know, and, uh, well, I, if it can change him from first round, <laughs> you know, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, um, but uh, you know, it, it's he kind of just – you know, they, they tell you, like, are you serious about this? And if you are serious, are you doing everything you can to make sure your body's physically and mentally ready? And it's kind of like, a, you know, a self-assessment. And it's at that point, you know, obviously you get to hear about, like, the Sally League or the GCL and all these leagues. And, you know, you get to hear about that minor league grind. Or whatever, <laughs> and you get to hear some of their stories and about, like, you know, how they had a big a big rain out and, like, the dugout was flooded. They were swimming in it or something. It's kind of funny to hear those stories i was like we didn't have anything like that it was just <laughs> it was just cold in july sometimes in the south bend that's all we had but um you know you, you take everything you take everything they say bad or for uh, better and for worse and you, you use it in any way you can one of the biggest adjustments you talked about was starting to eat breakfast mm -hmm. this year how much has that helped you well i i've struggled to put on weight you know basically my whole life and uh Boy, I'll tell you, the first time I just started eating breakfast, it just started coming fast. <laughs> I, I almost couldn't keep up with it. I, I put on, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't think I've ever put, I think in most off-seasons I put on like 5 to 10 pounds. And then, you know, this off-season I went from like 188 to 215 oh quick. <laughs> I couldn't even keep up with it anymore. So, this, like almost immediately after I started eating breakfast, I just started like noticing right away. You know, within the first week, I stepped in the scale, and I was like, holy cow. I, I, I can't believe I waited this long. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I've just You want those la that last hour of sleep so bad sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and sometimes I still do take it. But overall, I'm, I would say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm on top of the breakfast thing now. <laughs> What's Ben Heck's favorite breakfast? Favorite? Uh, it's tough. I, I love French toast. Okay. I love. I don't. I personally don't ever make it just because I like. <laughs> I keep it simple. I'm just eggs, bacon, and sausage. Right. Anytime I'm at home, uh, sometimes I'll spoil myself and like the night before I'll make like hash browns, and then that way I can wake up in the morning, put them in the microwave, and make like a bowl almost like a full of stuff. But um, like if I'm going out to eat, oh yeah, I gotta have French toast. I'll mm. never make it on my own, but <laughs> I, I can't get enough with the powdered sugar and uh, yeah. It's, Ooh. yeah. That sounds good, man. <laughs> it's not bad. You're getting hungry here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, seriously. Uh, when you went to spring training over this uh, this last off season, mm -hmm. you and Josh Lifrak, the mental skills coordinator for the Chicago Cubs, worked on your breathing. Mm -hmm. How important has that been for you this year as well? Well, for a little while there, especially this past road trip, you know, for whatever reason, I kind of got away from it. I just and it showed, obviously. You know, I, I'm. A, the curveball was not as tight. The fastball was not where I wanted it anymore. And uh, I really didn't even notice it, though. You know, you, you, you sit there and tell yourself you're breathing. But 
You know, I go back and I look at the video and I'm looking for all these mechanical things. Like, oh, where's my arm? Oh, where's my head? And before I even, you know, it wasn't, but, you know, a few days ago I looked at it and I was like, I didn't even breathe before that pitch. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think we even talked about earlier how sometimes you just don't even notice you're not doing something correctly. And, you know, I, I obviously I got away from it. It showed. We gave up, you know, home run. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I got back to it. And I'm still not perfect at it. I still have a pitch or two per outing where, you know, it doesn't go where I want it or for whatever reason. But, um, man, it's just it, – it's it's so crazy how just one breath can just make everything else fall in place, you know. And a lot of people get caught up in the mechanics, myself included. But if you just take that breath and relax – it's amazing how many times just the rest of your mechanics fall in line and the pitch will end up where you want it. Or even, like, if it doesn't end up where you want it. They say, like, a fastball with conviction is better than, you know, the right pitch without conviction. So, like, the amount of times I'll throw a fastball, but I truly believe in it, it's down the middle and they swing through it. It's kind of impressive sometimes. It's kind of crazy. It's that bulldog attitude, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just, uh, I don't know, you just got to believe in what you're doing, whether it's the right pitch or the wrong pitch. If It doesn't matter if you don't believe in it, so. Is it truly different to be a closer than a regular reliever? Um, you know, I closed at, you know, Wichita for a while. And um, it's not – it's kind of hard to describe. You know, I'll definitely agree. Like, you know, those games where I pitch in where sometimes it's like 7-1 to one or 10-1, to one, you don't have that same adrenaline, that's for sure, you know. Um, and that, that I can never deny. It's just not the same thing. You're, you almost feel like you're throwing like a bullpen sometimes. Yeah. But um, man, when when the game's you know three to one or you know three to two, one run game, whatever it may be, uh, yeah, it, 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 there's definitely a lot more adrenaline, and that's where that pre-pitch you know breath comes in, and I think that's kind of where I struggled because you know I I pitched in some tighter games, and maybe you know I hadn't done it as much this year, and I think it, it was good because that's where I recognized like yeah I, when I when it's when it's time to lock it down you really gotta. You gotta slow that game down as much as you possibly can. So I mean, yeah, it's definitely different. But like, you definitely need to try your best to make it like another outing. You know, like you know, at the end of the day, you gotta get three outs, whether it's seven to one or you know, one run game. So I, I'm def That's where I think I, my next step is really like whatever it may be, big or uh, a close game or not a close game. Regardless, you gotta get the guy in the batter's box out for you know by all means necessary. You've had a really interesting relationship with Kevonte Mitchell when you're on the mound and he's out in left field. Oh, he has man. thrown out two guys at home plate when you're on the mound to end the game. Yeah, he's also made multiple catch. diving <laughs> catches behind you. I, What's it like to see that? I talked to him yesterday. I'm about to just give him my, my, like, my debit card or something. <laughs> whatever, man, just go have fun. I mean, I owe you something at this point. So I, I don't – every time I see him, I, I just, I'm going to have to shine his shoes. I'm going to put his cleats on or – I'm gonna start doing his laundry. I don't know what he's gonna ask for me, but I feel like before too long he's gonna he's gonna cash in a favor from me. And I've got to be ready for it because I'm gonna have to do it because I need him out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think where your season would be if it weren't for Kevontae. Yeah, Mitchell. seriously, that's for real. I mean, he is he's a different animal out there. He's fast. He's got an absolute cannon for an arm. I mean, he is a very comforting presence out there. Really, all of them are. I mean, Jimmy, Zach. Uh, DJ, you know, all of them, you know, and, you know, it's we're, – we're pretty spoiled pitchers, to be honest, with that outfield, that's for sure. It has to be the most underrated in the league. I, I, I know, it's incredible. I know DJ's thrown some guys out, too. I know Jimmy's made some great plays, too. 
I mean, and the thing is, there was a play this past uh, road trip of, a, of a, when I was pitching of a, a flare, and, you know, Zach Davis runs under and catches it, and everyone's like, oh, he caught it. No one else is getting to that ball and catching that stand In left up. center, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except Zach Davis. It's Crazy. Like, I mean, like, that's the thing is when you see Zach Davis out there, you don't think anything of it. You're like, I oh, caught it. He caught it. It's like, well, <laughs> he caught it because he runs like a six flat 60 and no one else can catch him. It's, it's amazing. He has to be the fastest player in the league, right? If there's a faster one, I need to see. Yeah. I need to see it. See him in a race. Yeah. yeah I, like I'd the, take Davis. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anybody who tells me they're faster than Zach, I'm not going to say you're wrong, but you better be ready to prove it because I need to see it. <laughs> he it's can a, absolutely It's fly. unbelievable. That's for sure. I need to race him. I want to <laughs> see how bad How do you is. think you would do? Ah, gosh. I haven't ran a 60-yard dash <laughs> since probably my senior year of high school. But, uh, oh, I, I know I wouldn't win. But... <laughs> I, I'm trying to think like what the length, what the margin of victory would be for him. I got to think. Oh God, he he might beat me by a full second. <laughs> he actually might. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. I, I yeah, I got I can't even put it into words how impressive he is. <laughs> he can fly, that's for sure. Well, as we conclude things, we want to hit you with some rapid fire. Okay. We got we got some fun stuff for you. Oh, so it's been. One of the biggest debates throughout the whole locker room on the bus, what have yeah, you. Yeah, we got a lot of those. A lot of debates. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest ones has been about the basketball court, and you being from a basketball area, if you had to pick one player who has played with the Pelicans this year, so Brian Hudson is, mm-hmm. is, yeah, in, he's is in play, who would you pick for a pickup basketball game? Okay, so this is tough because I have seen Brian play, and I know Brian's really good, but – I have heard Cavante was a very special basketball player. <laughs> have you seen his mixtape? I haven't. You got to see it. I, someone was telling me that like Cavante at one point was like a Division One recruit for basketball. He I, averaged twenty five and fourteen two yeah, straight years. I've never seen it, but I've seen the athleticism. Just you know what I mean, like just all over the place, and um, you know what I mean, like. I there's there's no way I could look him in the eye and be like, no, nah, I bet you weren't very good. <laughs> like I. It, uh, he, I, I'm gonna go ahead and say Cavante with only his reputation. Wow, you know, I've only, I've only heard, I've never seen it, but uh, Hudson is a very close second. My former Illinois guy, you know, guy, <laughs> gotta show love to Hudson. I, 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 I would love to have Hudson too as a close second. <laughs> you do owe Cavante a favor, anyways. So you I might as well take him with the number one pick. More than a favor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a little bit different than the basketball court. You're stranded on an island. Who do you pick from this team to be mm. stranded there with you? Mm. Who brings the most to the table? Brian Glowicki and you are attached to the hip. We are, but you know what? I I got to say, I think Manny Rodriguez would thrive. <laughs> I don't know why. I think he's got, like, I, I've just heard him talk sometimes about Mexico and whatnot, and I'm just like, this guy is kind of a grinder. I bet. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like he's probably I, the strongest yeah. on the team, right? Oh, he's definitely the strongest. It's <laughs> not even close. I'll tell you that right now. It's not even close. But I I can just see him being the kind of guy to put, like, the machete in the mouth and just go chase down like a deer. <laughs> like, give us some food. or You know what I mean? Like, he's a handyman, I'm sure. I, I got to go with Manny Rodriguez. <laughs> okay. I think we, it's a different, like, against the grain. Yeah, like, it definitely is. So, we, we've heard, like, Luis Lugo because he fishes. Yeah. But, but Alex Lang was really worried because he thought, Louis Lugo was a big guy, and he would probably eat him at some point. There's, there's that, and um, yeah, I, absolutely can't discredit the fishing. But I mean, once you throw a line out there a few times, you got to get lucky eventually, right? <laughs> 
you know, but like, who's to say, because you know, like, Lugo knows that advanced fishing stuff. Let's say he fishes and he catches a shark. I'm not getting that shark guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he he's catch, not getting that no, shark guy. Like, you know, I'm trying to catch, like, you know, small, small fish. You know, I'm not a big guy. <laughs> Just dinner. Plus, <laughs> on top of that, on top, kind of building off what Lang said, I'm, you know what I mean? Lugo's a big fella. Like, yeah. You know, you're going to have to feed him a lot. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it could be us, but you know what I mean? Like, let's say he catches that shark. He's probably getting three-fourths of that shark to himself. Yeah, That's, that's a lot of food to feed a big guy. Yeah, And I feel like Rodriguez is – I know Manny's a great guy, and he will go 50-50 with me even if I do nothing. Yeah, I'll just sit there the whole time, like, go get him, Manny. You know? and <laughs> go get him, Manny. You're like the cheerleader yeah, there. Yeah. Just catch, in the background. He'll <laughs> catch my fish, and then, you know, we'll, we'll enjoy dinner together. <laughs> He's a great guy. You're a big would-you-rather guy. So, okay, here's, here's a would-you-rather. We got you're going back to the Civil War mm-hmm. to fight in the Civil War. Would you rather have a tank or a T-Rex to fight in the Civil War? Hard-hitting questions. Yes. Yeah, no, for <laughs> the real. The Pelicast coming at you. The thing is, with a tank, you got limited mobility. You can only go, you know, so fast. And a T-Rex. Can you like, control a T-Rex, though? Can we assume the T-Rex is not going to kill me? Like, yes. he knows who's on his team. He knows who's the other team is. Okay. Or is this okay. guy just, like, loose? Like, <laughs> just let him loose and he's <laughs> running around. Everywhere. Whoever he gets is whoever he gets. Because if that's the case, I'm going tank. Because <laughs> you know, I think the T-Rex would just kill everybody. But... Man, if we know this T-Rex is, like, on my team and he knows who his target is, oh, man, they can – I don't even know how fast a T-Rex runs, but um, – Fast. Plus, you, fast. Know, you, shoot that, you shoot that tank and don't – I mean, then you got to reload it and then, you know what I mean? I like, mean, but we're talking – we're not talking like a World War II tank. We're talking about a tank nowadays. I like, this is, this is a big-time thing. Wow, this is actually the most difficult question I think I've been asked. <laughs> And I really, really want to give the right answer because I feel like there is a right answer. I'm probably going to go with the T-Rex. Okay. Locking it in. Yeah. T-Rex. Because he's going to bite some people and he's going to swing his tail. Yeah. He's just going to be killing people left and right. I've seen Jurassic Park too many times. Exactly. And I'm assuming the other team, they – are just soldiers, or do they have? They don't like have this a T Rex. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but I'm saying like they don't have like our tank. Like they don't have. No, no, they don't, no, they they don't it's get not the one other. or the other. No, yeah, so they're just sitting over there with maybe their cannon. So they literally have to shoot it, <laughs> reload it, and if they miss a giant T Rex, it's game over. Like that Ooh. thing's gonna get to that. Even if you hit it. So you're saying tank versus T Rex now? I'm seeing no. I'm seeing uh, T Rex all okay. day because you know, if you shoot it with that cannon, first of all, it might not even hurt it. You might just get mad and then go, <laughs> you know, take it out. But, like, you know, if those cannons they have, you know, whatnot, you got to shoot it, then you got to reload it real slow, and by that time, the T-Rex is there. I'm going T-Rex. Okay. I think the right. T-Rex, I like that. I'm locked in. I, I don't even think that's a hard question anymore. It's a T-Rex. <laughs> it's definitely a T-Rex. Talked yourself into it. Yeah. Yeah. And now if that T-Rex doesn't know who's on his team, that's terrifying. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go with the tank. <laughs> there you go. Well, we have a couple more for you. Bubble gum or sunflower seeds? Mmm. I usually do. I swear, I usually do both. I, I okay. Always, but uh, if I gotta choose one, probably sunflower seeds. Okay. You know what's your favorite flavor? Sunflower seeds. You know, when we went to Wilmington, they had nacho cheese, and I thought those would have been like discontinued. I haven't seen them since like junior high, mm-hmm. and I I started chewing the uh, David's uh, nacho cheese, and I felt like a child again. It was amazing. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Definitely those or cracked pepper. Okay. All right. 
So you had a chance to hit in college. If you ever get a chance to hit here in the minor leagues or the pros, and you hit a home run, are you going to pimp it? You know, I'll be completely honest. If I, as a pitcher, give up a home run to a pitcher and he pimps it, that's totally okay. Like, <laughs> like, if he gets it, like, you know what I mean? Like, if, like, I feel like you can pimp a home run, but there's comes to a certain point, a point where it becomes like, okay, like, hey, you got me. Like, please get on the line. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm all for it. If you pimp it, you pimp it. But, like, if it's a pitcher, he can sit there and watch it land. Like, I don't even care. He doesn't have to run the bases. So, if I hit a home run, oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm going to sit there and I'm, if Zach Davis is batting leadoff, I might get him ear hold or something. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'll, I'll, like, give him, like, some money after. Like, I'm really sorry, but, like. It's going to be Cavante. You know, like, <laughs> like, I'm really sorry. I haven't done that in years. Like, I absolutely deserve to watch that ball. <laughs> there, there you go. go. <laughs> if you could face one hitter in the history of baseball, who would it be? Oh, man. One hitter in the. Hmm, probably, uh, like, Mark McGuire. Yeah. In his prime? In his prime. 98, Mark I'm, McGuire. I mean, yeah, like, I, I, I'm i fully aware I'm probably not going to get him out, but I just want to <laughs> see how far it can go. Or maybe even, like, maybe just throw him a cookie, yeah, see what happens. Maybe even, like, Barry Bonds. You know, I, I like, obviously, you sit there and hear about how good they are, and I, I got to see him a little bit, but I was really young and didn't get to appreciate it. Like, I could now. You just want kind of one of those things, like, let's show me how good you really are. Have you talked about uh, Barry Bonds to Brian Lawrence? Uh-uh. I, actually, someone was saying that, um, like he kind of uh, Barry Bonds owned him or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Four twenty nine <laughs> against him with four dingers. <laughs> oh, Bela, I cannot <laughs> wait to get to the field. I am going. Well, I, I guess at the end of the day, he gave up a home run to Barry Bonds. I guess not the worst thing I could. <laughs> happen, oh, I can't wait. Uh, thank you. That's gonna be huge today. It's going to be big. I feel like this is going to come back to me. You got any dirt on Steve LaRude? (laughs) Yes, yes. We'll we'll talk later. Don't worry. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Plenty of it. Well, and we'll we'll finish it off with uh, your alma mater, I guess, Wichita State. Just hired a new head coach, Eric Wedge. What do you think? Um, you know, I wasn't uh, super familiar with Eric Wedge. I I, obviously I know he was a great player when I was there. I never got to meet him. You know, I'm not really sure about all that. Um, I got to meet. I I didn't get to meet Mike Pelfrey. I got to talk to some guys when he got hired too. And they thoroughly enjoyed him. Um, I've got so the when I was there, my fresh the freshmen I was there with are now seniors. So I'll you know talk to them a little bit and see how he is. But um, I know the fan base seems to be really excited. So I mean, and how can you not? Because I'm pretty sure he's a Hall of Famer at the Wichita State. If I'm not wrong. I could be making that up. But <laughs> I, I heard a uh, I heard he's uh, you know a really nice guy. I I talked to Mace a little bit about it, and Mace seemed to have good things to say about him. And um, so. You know, I know the fan base is excited, and um, I know, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't hire a guy who they didn't think was adequately prepared for it. So, uh, you know, I'm excited. I'm sorry, excited to see where he goes, and, uh, you know, I'll be checking with some guys, and I'm sure they'll have nothing but good things to say as well. Should be a lot of fun to see him in Wichita State going forward next season. Well, that's going to do it for the third Pelicast of the season. From here, from Abuelo's Mexican Restaurant in the Coastal Grand Mall off of Highway 17. They have great specials all day long, every single day of the week. In addition to that, if you head to Abuelos.com, you can enter for a chance to win the Pelicans jersey that's hanging here in the lobby. Ben Hecht, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All right, we'll talk to you next month here from Abuelo's Mexican Restaurant.